Be Christ's church. Impact the valley. Reach the world. All for the glory of King Jesus. Welcome to the North Roanoke podcast. Today, our lead pastor, Daniel Palmer, will be opening God's word for us. Our prayer is that you will encounter the living Lord as you hear his word proclaimed. I was going to ask if we could express our thanksgiving to to Jesse Stevens for that amazing video, and I I think you've done that. Uh, Why don't we also express our thanksgiving to God for his faithfulness to us for 65 years? Uh, the pastor that I followed, his name is, is Daryl Krim, and his wife is named Susan, and they were unable to be with us today, and instead they passed along a letter uh, for me to read, and I want to share that with you now. Greetings to our North Roanoke family. I am writing today, instead of Susan and I being with you, because one of the blessings of being retired is that now we are able to be with our family on their special occasions. We are with Kathy and her family in Nashville for our grandson's 14th birthday. May you have a great day celebrating 65 years. Susan and I remain deeply grateful to God for giving us the privilege of serving him with you for almost half of those years. We treasure the many relationships with you and how you have enriched our lives. I had the blessing of following three great pastors in Burl Lucas, D.C. Craig, and Richard Walden now under Pastor Daniel's leadership among you. I share the same blessing of confidence that the Apostle Paul expressed toward the church in Philippi when he wrote, For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Jesus Christ. With much love to you and gratitude to our Lord Jesus Christ, Daryl and Susan. Daryl, if you're listening this morning or tuning in later, thank you uh, for 29 plus years of faithful investment here at North Roanoke. And uh, I did not tell Daryl where I was going to be preaching from, but it's a great setup, great introduction, because I have planned and had planned before I received this letter to share with you a vision message from the book of Philippians, a vision message from the book of Philippians. So we're going to step out of our series in Acts, and we're going to use the book of Philippians to reflect on who we are and where we're going in a sermon that I've entitled, Press On for the prize. Press on for the prize. So if you have your copy of God's Word uh, or have it on your phone, please flip with me or scroll with me uh, to the book of Philippians. It's in the the New Testament and it is one of the letters that Paul writes to one of the churches that he established or that God established through him and his mission team. In fact, we just read about that in Acts 16. We're in Acts 17 in our series in Acts, so we've We've just covered that. And so Paul's now in prison, most likely in Rome, and he's writing back to the church at Philippi, urging them to be joyful, loving, united, wise, humble, and holy as they partner together in the gospel. There's, there's, if you've studied the book of Philippians, he writes a lot about joy, but it's interesting. He's really building his case to what happens in chapter 4. There's a little bit of disunity between Yodia uh, and Syntyche, And so he builds this whole argument from chapter 1 through chapter 3 that the gospel brings us together, that the gospel gives us joy, that the gospel gives us the power to forgive and move on in the gospel, and then bam, chapter 4, he actually names names. He calls out Yodi and Syntyche. Can you imagine reading this letter? Like, we're all hanging out, 
And the pastor writes a letter to the church, and you're like waiting for it, waiting for it. Hey, Joe and Bob, y'all need to stop it. And the rest of y'all people, help them out. Well, that's what Paul does. Uh, but in this letter, we get some principles about the gospel. We get some principles about who we are as a people and what God would call us to do that I, I think are going to be useful reminders to help us. Like, what do you do at 65 years? Woo, we had not made it 65 years. A lot of churches don't make it that far. So what do we do now? Well, I want to remind us who we are and what we're to be about. Whether we're 65 years old, six and a half minutes old, or 650 years old, for the glory of King Jesus. So today's sermon is going to be a bit different. Uh, we're going to cover uh, a lot of the book of Philippians and in more of a topical way. I want, to, I want to pick some themes that I think we see surface in Philippians, and we'll cover the text along the way. So the first thing I want to share with you is the point before the text which I know is atypical, but the first thing I want us to hear is we've got to trust, as Pastor Darrell's letter said and as the Apostle Paul has written, we've got to trust that in the day of Christ Jesus, God is going to complete or perfect the work that he's begun in us. God's going to do it. Great is his faithfulness. With 65 years is a, is a credit to God. In verses 3 through 5, Paul writes a prayer, verses 3 through 5 of chapter 1, by the way, Paul writes a prayer of thanksgiving for the Philippian church, and it almost sounds like a prayer that would be voiced at an anniversary celebration, does it not? Let's, let's read verses 3 through 5. He says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Every time you come to mind, I thank God for you. Always, in every prayer of mine, for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Paul is grateful for what God had done in Philippi. And we, we just covered that, right, in Acts 16. He saves a, a businesswoman, a savvy businesswoman and her family. He saves a slave girl. He saves a, probably a middle-class jailer and his family, and he puts them all together. He overcomes socioeconomic boundaries. He overcomes ethnic boundaries. And he puts them all together in the same family. Paul is grateful for what God did, and he's also grateful for what God is doing. The church is still standing, they're still working, they're still reaching people. In verse 5, we learn that the church has an ongoing partnership in what? Do you see that? Not in occupation, not in education, not in their favorite football team, not in their ethnicity, not in their income, but they have a partnership in what? In the gospel. This is the, the word that we often translate fellowship, and Baptists like to fellowship, especially when food is involved. And we're going to do that as soon as I finish this sermon. And I've only dedicated one minute to this sermon for every year that our church has been in existence. <laughs> so we, we, like, we think of fellowship with food, and that's very biblical. The church did eat together, but fellowship is, is not just in food, right? It's not just in fun and games. Fellowship fundamentally is, is a fellowship in the gospel, in the message of what Christ has done that has changed our hearts and made us one in Christ. And the reason that the church existed wasn't fun and games and their favorite programs and clubs. The reason they came together was the gospel. And their partnership in the gospel overflowed Paul tells us in chapter 4, into support for him in his ministry. So whenever Paul remembers the Philippian church, he is thankful to God. And he offers prayers and petitions, begging God on behalf of the church. What, what is he begging God for? He doesn't tell us, 
but we can certainly assume that he's asking God to, to keep them faithful. He's asking God to keep making them effective and to keep them united and humble and treasuring Christ and reaching the nations that are gathered there in that Roman colony of Philippi. And then in verse 6, Paul adds this little nugget. After he says, look, I'm so thankful to God for what happened in your past. Verse 6, he says, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Are you thankful for that promise? That God finishes what he starts? And we, we often apply this individually, right? And that's okay. But he's applying it actually to the local church. Paul, Paul goes from being a coach who's saying in verses 3 through 5, Great job, you're doing it. Woo! To in verse 6, don't get the big head. Don't think it's about you. Don't rest on your past success. Instead, remember, it's about God and his faithfulness. And he is confident, is he not? Look in verse 6. He begins literally, having been confident of this. It's, it's the perfect tense. In other words, I saw what God did in you, and I've been confident from that day. So he prays with thankfulness to God for the Philippian church with this settled, fixed state of confidence. Why? Not because of Philippi, but because God is faithful. God finishes what he starts. He started an amazing work there in Philippi. When I was younger, I had, had a friend, and he's, he's still a friend to this day, uh, who did model cars. Have you ever done model cars? I was super impressed. He would get like these NASCARs and these antique cars, and he would paint the tires and you know, put the Goodyear and make, make them yellow. And it was just a very meticulous process. And so I decided I was going to go with him to the hobby shop, and I too was going to do model cars. And here's what you need to know about my model cars. I tried three or four, and I, I got the tires done really well. But some of the detail on those things is quite intricate. And the, the ability to get the glue to hold and to get the steering column to actually stay at the right angle and everything else that's required, it's quite frustrating. And I had better things to do. So I'm pretty sure, still at my parents' house, you could find like a museum of incompleted model cars. I mean, the tires look great. Got the Goodyear filled in really good. Everything else, like what in the world was he doing? Paul is saying, God's not like that. God took you where you were, put you together, and he will complete what he has started. The, the promise applies to us individually, but praise God, he's applying it to the local church, which means it applies not only to Philippi, it applies to North Roanoke Baptist Church in 2022, 65 years later. God is perfecting us, and he will complete his work in us at the day of Christ's return. The, the word perfection in the Greek, it, it's hard to translate. It, it means uh, to complete or finish or to end. And if you've ever stained or refinished a piece of furniture, that's kind of the idea here. When, when you do a piece of furniture, what do you do? When you want to redo it, you got to sand it down. You got to get the coarse grit, and you got to get the medium grit. Then you got to get the fine grit, and you finally get it relatively smooth, and you throw that first 
coat of poly on there, and then you're done, right? No, you got to sand the poly, and then you got to get more poly. And that's what God is doing to the church. He just keeps sanding us and sanding us and sanding us, make, removing the impurities of our lives, taking us ever more to the day of Christ Jesus. And when Christ comes, we're going to be perfect. But until that day, you will look in vain for a perfect local church. Let me say that again. The only place you're going to find a perfect church is in heaven. You say, well, I'm going to go find me a perfect church. Well, as soon as you show up, it won't be perfect anymore, right? Same goes for me. So, so this means that our confidence, as we stand at the moment of 65 years of existence, our confidence like Paul's confidence, is not ultimately in our past. It's not ultimately even in our present. It is in God who will complete his people. It is in God who will send his son at the proper time to make us complete in him. This means until Christ comes that the place that God wants his people to experience the completeness of his love is within the context of a church that is not yet complete. God's faithfulness is exercised in and toward local churches. That means every single one of you. Why do we ask you to join North Roanoke Baptist Church rather than to just attend North Roanoke Baptist Church? Because it's biblical. God says you need a family where he will work on you and refine you and sand you. And he will use other believers in that process. You need a pastor who will watch over your soul with accountability. Hebrews chapter 13. It means we've got to lean into our church family. It means we need to use our gifts looking to the glorious return of Christ as our reward. It means we should search the scriptures and apply ourselves to them, not just individually, but corporately. It means we should seek ways that God is stretching us to become more faithful and more like Christ in this process. It means we pursue this work with great confidence, not in ourselves, not in our past, not in our present, But in God, in God who didn't leave any model car incomplete or any church, will not leave any church incomplete. One day soon, church, our king is going to split the eastern sky. And the celebration of all that God has done for us through Christ will never end. Our king finishes what he starts. The second thing I want to share with you from the book of Philippians, uh, down in verses 27 and 28 of chapter 1, And then later, over in chapter 3, Paul makes this point in multiple places in, in the book of Philippians. We must courageously advance the gospel and reject complacency in pursuing Christ. We must courageously advance the gospel and reject complacency in pursuing Christ. The truth that God finishes what he starts does not mean that there's nothing for us to do, right? It simply means... That what there is to do is done in God's strength and for His glory. It's not done in our own power. When the gospel, the message of salvation by grace alone through faith alone, is challenged in our world, we must courageously contend for it. Check out Philippians 1, 27 and 28. The first half of 28. In, in Philippi, things are apparently getting a bit chippy among some of the people, but Paul doesn't address it until chapter 4, but he starts to lay the foundation here that it's all about the gospel. And so he says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. 
so that whether I come to see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving, do you see it, side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. Church, there is no church where there is no gospel. If we lose the gospel, we lose everything. The church, the gospel is the basis of our salvation and it is the basis of our unity. It is the gospel that unites us and leads us to strive, verse 27, side by side. The unity that Christ calls us to is not merely in theory, right? Oh, I'm united with him and I'm united with her, but we'll never see each other. We'll never worship together. We'll never have the Lord's Supper together. We'll never sing songs together. We'll never see one another. That is not the picture of the local church. The local church is to be striving side by side, not just, oh yeah, we're together out there mentally, literally side by side for the faith of the gospel. It is to be demonstrated. Our unity in Christ is to be demonstrated by our desire to be side by side. It's to be demonstrated in our common participation in the Lord's Supper. What does Paul say in 1 Corinthians 11? Take the Lord's Supper whenever you want to take it, wherever you want to take it. That's not what he says. He says in 1 Corinthians 11, when you gather, when you come together as the church and do these things. It's an ordinance given to the local church. It's to be demonstrated in our common participation in worship. It's to be demonstrated in our prayers for the lost. It's to be demonstrated in our shared resolve to be undeterred as the world and as wolves seek to upend the gospel. And as we are tempted to put ourselves and our preference ahead of God's truth and God's heart as revealed in his word. So as the church, North Roanoke, 65 years in, we need to continue to live lives that reflect the transformation of the gospel. We need to continue to strive side by side for the faith of the gospel. Do you see that? Not frightened in anything by your opponents. Did you know that the world has no problem with churches that cave on the gospel? Let me say that again. The world has no problem with churches that cave on the gospel. That's what they want you to do. And, and which pastors are celebrated on CNN and MSNBC and every other show today? It's not the pastors who are still proclaiming the gospel. It's the pastors who are capitulating on the gospel, who are throwing away the gospel. We must not cave on the gospel, and we will not cave on the gospel because it's not the world that impresses us, is it? It is not the world that saves us. It's not the world who impresses us. We are impressed with Jesus. Why are we? do our hearts rise when we hear, thank you, Jesus, for the blood? Because he's the only one who could save, and we will not throw away the gospel. It is the faithfulness of God which motivates us to courageously live out and stand for the gospel, seeking our reward, our reward where? Not in man's praise, not in the world's praise, but in beholding our king. And it is that vision, the vision of our coming king, who helps us not grow complacent as we strive to work out the salvation that our faithful God is working into us. Philippians 2, verse 12 and 13. Now I want you to flip over to chapter 3, alright? In chapter 3, just before we get to the verses we're going to consider, verses 12 through 15... Paul warns us about people who are boasting in their deeds. 
Did you know that that can be a source of disunity in the church? So-and-so didn't recognize me. So-and-so didn't pay attention to my contribution. This happened, and I can't believe nobody acknowledged it. And Paul is building to a whammo in chapter 4 where he's like, stop it. It's about Jesus. And so in the beginning of chapter 3, he's like, there's people out there that talk about their good deeds and keeping the law. And if you want to talk about law keeping, then look at me. I was circumcised on the eighth day. I was the tribe of Benjamin. I kept the law. I was blameless according to the law. And guess what? The law didn't do me any good because the law can't save me. My good deeds can't save me. Only Jesus can save me. So that's the salvation that I want. So he's, he's warning people about what they're motivated by. What is required to be right with God is the perfect righteousness of God that it can only come by faith in the crucified and risen Son of God. And here's the deal. Paul is saved. He has the righteousness of God in Christ. He knows what he's writing about. This is justification. He has been declared just, not on the basis of his deeds, but on the basis of what Christ has done, right? We, we all affirm this. From the moment that King Jesus saves Paul on the road to Damascus, God no longer sees Paul in his sin. Isn't that great news? From the moment that you encounter God in faith and you believe on his son, from that moment that you see that Christ had to die in your place and be raised in your place, that he is your substitute and you want to live from him, for him, from that moment, God sees you in Christ. That's, that's great news. It's great news. Nothing is lacking in Paul to be accepted by God. And the same is true for you if you're in Christ today. And yet, what does Paul say in verse 12 and following of chapter 3. Are you there? This is, I'm preaching a little different. Can you say I'm there? Okay, chapter 3, verse 12. Listen to what Paul says. We, we just affirm that Paul has everything he needs in Christ. And then listen to what he writes. Not that I have already obtained this, the perfection, the completion that we read about in chapter 1, same word, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it, the, the perfections of Christ, my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. I belong to Christ because Christ made me his, but I still feel like I'm still trying to lay hold of Christ. Praise God, he's got me, and I'm going to be saved because Christ took hold of me, but I'm still trying to take hold of him. Verse 13, brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature, same word, perfect, complete, that we read all the way back in chapter 1, verse 6, the exact same word, let those of us who are complete think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. So which is it, Paul? Are you perfect or are you imperfect? Are you complete or are you incomplete? I'm confused. And Paul would be like, yes. Paul is committed to becoming everything that God has already declared him to be in Christ. He is committed to working hard at God's work of sanctification. In Christ, Paul is perfect. He is complete. His perfection is complete. It is secured. It is assured. And yet, he is on his way to becoming what God has said he is. If you belong to Jesus by faith this morning, the same is true for you. 
There's nothing you can do or not do that will make you less complete or more complete in Jesus in one sense. And yet, I want to be sure you get this, in this present life, God's declaration of who we're becoming and who we already are in Christ fuels our determination to get there. Because I am declared righteous in Christ, I am free to see the gap between me and Jesus. And I am free to strive with confidence and humility and courage to get to Jesus and prize Him supremely. Verse 12, Christ has made me His own. Verse 13, I don't consider that I have made it my own. Paul is using himself as an example, not just to us individually, but as we see, it becomes clear in verse 17, he's an example for the whole church. He's saying that this process doesn't just apply to individual Christians, it applies to local churches. Like Paul, we need to see everything that we are and will be as flowing from and owing to God's faithfulness. And that vision of what's been secured for us at the return of Jesus leads us to pursue Him now so that we would look less and less like our sinful selves and more and more like Christ the King. So what does Paul do? What does this work look like of recognizing I've got the perfections of Christ but I don't see the perfections of Christ in me and so I, what am I going to do? What does he say? He strains forward to what lies ahead and he forgets what lies behind. Now, what in the world does Paul forget? What does he mean he forgets what lies behind? I mean, we know that Paul remembers his great sins, right? Because he mentions them. He often calls himself the persecutor of the church. He calls himself in 1 Timothy 1.5, the chief of sinners. So what is Paul forgetting? He's forgetting his triumphs. He's forgetting the good old days, lest they become his goal and cause him to stumble and, sub- and settle for a substitute prize. Church, our best days in this life are not the goal. Our greatest spiritual achievement in this life is not the goal. The praise of men is not the goal. A position in ministry is not the goal. What is the goal? The goal is the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. It is the prize. What is the upward call? It's that, it's that moment. It's, it's that call to salvation. When you hear the gospel, you behold the glory of Christ and you embrace Him as your Savior. God is calling you up to salvation. But what then is the prize that you get in the call? The prize, is it not Christ Himself? Is He not the prize? Is He not the treasure that we behold Him, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, that we behold Him now like it's in a dim mirror, but one day we get to be with Jesus and see Jesus face to face? So on this anniversary Sunday, as we celebrate the faithfulness of God, and as we've sung, great is thy faithfulness, we do so with confidence, knowing that he will complete us in the day of Christ Jesus, and yet we resolve, like Paul, not to become complacent as we rest on the laurels of our past. Instead, we are going to, North Roanoke, press on for the true prize, and the prize is Jesus. And to do this, finally... Chapter 3, 15 and 16. We've got to be open to God's correction 
and consistently do what we know to do. You say, Pastor, this is really basic this morning. It is. The only way we're going to get there is because God is faithful. We know God is faithful and He's declared us to have the perfections of Christ. And yet we look at our church and we look at our own life and we realize we've got work to do. We've got a prize to pursue and that is Christ. And how are we going to pursue it? We're going to pursue it not by resting on our past, but looking ahead. And that means as we look ahead, what do we do? We've got to be open to God's correction and consistently do what we know to do. In verse 15, which we've already read, Paul records an incredible promise. When we resolve to not glory in our past or present performance and to instead look forward with eager anticipation to beholding Jesus, what does God promise? We, we may not put this in our little book of God's promises. Does anybody have a little book of God's promises? They probably left this one out because it, it doesn't make give us warm fuzzies, at least initially. But here it is. If you're looking forward to the coming of Jesus, if you're pursuing Christ, that wherever you're veering off track, God himself is going to show you. That's good news. If Christ is your aim, he's going to show you where Christ isn't your aim. I get a picture of myself at Disney World with my son the first time. You know those little cars that they're self-propelled and there's a rail so that you can only get so far off course? Y'all know what I'm talking about? Now, you're supposed to drive it and not keep bumping into the rail so Dad doesn't toss his cookies after the ride. And I'm like, Samuel's like, but I want to drive, Daddy. And I'm like, okay, Right? And so gradually, I'm like, I can't take this anymore. Now, I'm going to get to my destination one way or the other, but here's the deal. I'd just reach over and nudge that wheel just a little bit. Or he would start to yank it, and I would kind of put a little resistance on it so he wouldn't do that, right? The Holy Spirit will do that in your life. The Holy Spirit will do that in the life of the church. Hey, you're straying from the heart of God here. Hey, you're straying from the heart of God there. Aren't you thankful for a God who, on this journey to our King, will help us see when we are straying? Both as individuals and as a church. And aren't you thankful for a God who usually doesn't just overwhelm us all at once? Like, there it is. We would get overwhelmed. We'd be swamped with all the ways Right? But usually he'll just give us one or two and then another. And he will help us apply our heart to God. And then in verse 16 he says this. Read with me. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. What, what does that mean on the heels of the promise that God will surely show us where we're, where we're vectoring and messing up? Here's what Paul is saying, if I could read between the lines for a moment. Don't take God's promise to show us where we're falling short as a reason to fall short. Does that make sense? Don't take the promise that God's going to show us what's up and where we need to change as a reason to go, well, I'm just doing it until God shows me. I'll just do whatever I want to do. No, what you know to do, keep doing it. It's like Paul is saying, don't turn God's grace into an excuse. To the contrary, whatever understanding, whatever truth, whatever godly living and pursuits you've come to understand, the word here is, is like a good soldier. The word is to, to march in it, to stay in line with it, to stick 
with it. We can't treat Jesus, church, like a New Year's resolution to go to the gym and then throw it away two weeks later. We must stick with the stuff. We must continue to walk in the ways and the paths of righteousness that have already been revealed to us. So if I was going to summarize the command from Paul in verse 16 to stick with it, for a church of 65 years and still going strong, I would do so in three basic categories. You know what they are. You've heard me say it over and over and over again. If we want to be a faithful church, if we want to live for the glory and the coming of Christ, there's three things that we need to do, three big ideas. we got to be Christ's church, not Daniel's church, not any of the other staff members' church, not your church. We need to be the church of Jesus Christ. You say, well, what does that look like? Well, Look at the New Testament. Pray together, serve one another, share the gospel, worship together. All the things that the Bible tells us to do, we need to apply ourselves to those things. Secondly, we need to impact the Roanoke Valley for the glory of King Jesus. And finally, we need to keep our eyes on the nations, recognizing it's not about just Roanoke. It's uh, we serve a king who is king of the nations, and we pray for God to raise up missionaries. We pray for the missionaries we're already supporting such that they would get the gospel to places where Christ is little known and not known at all. That's how I summarize it. But there's probably a better way to summarize it. Just use the Bible. I want to conclude with the three greats of the Bible this morning as I urge us to stick with it for, I pray, another 65 years and then many more should the Lord tarry. To stick with it, the first thing that we must do is we must not depart from our great confession. We must not depart from our great confession. We saw back in verse 27 of chapter 1 that we are to strive together for the faith of the gospel. Jude, chapter, Jude verse 3 puts it this way, that we contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. In every generation, the faith of the gospel is going to be attacked. But North Roanoke, we will not change the gospel, alter the gospel, or apologize for the faith. The generation that assumes the gospel will produce a generation that dismisses the gospel, which is why we must always defend and advance the gospel. The unchanging faith built upon the unchanging gospel is the great confession of the saints down through the centuries. We confess it is Christ in our place, full stop. Secondly, we must obey the great commandment. We got to get the gospel right so that we can get the great commandment right. Because you can't worship the Lord your God with all your mind, heart, soul, and strength unless you know how it is that God can change your heart. Do you remember in Matthew 22, the lawyer comes to Jesus and he says, Tell us what is the greatest command. And in verse 37, Jesus says, You're going to love, you shall, you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Church, we don't want to just get the facts of the gospel right, as important as that is. We want our hearts to be right. We want to defend and declare the gospel with our lips, and yet we must never forget that the gospel is supposed to lead us to worship King Jesus. We've been saved from worthless idols to worship our God. And when we delight in our God and give Him the devotion and affection of which He alone is worthy, it changes us. It leads us to take seriously 
the second greatest commandment, does it not? Because Jesus doesn't stop with the first commandment, does he? He's like, if I'm going to answer your question about the greatest commandment, the greatest is to love the Lord your God. But secondly, if you're doing that well, what's going to happen? You're going to love your neighbor as yourself. And there's many ways to love your neighbor. And Jesus clarifies for us, who are our neighbors? Everybody, right? Even people that you don't like, right? Love your enemies, he tells us elsewhere. The parable of the good Samaritan. Samaritan loves his enemy undeservedly. So how do we supremely love our neighbor? Not dismissing or discounting the many ways that it can be done. What's the greatest way you can love your neighbor? Is it not to obey our king's great commission? North Roanoke, 65 years and going strong. We, we cannot neglect our great confession. We must understand that the confession of the gospel leads us to obey the great commandment. And that if we encounter God who so loved us that he sent his son on a rescue mission for us, that we must be a part of fulfilling the great commission. We've seen in Acts that the entire church is supposed to be a part of sharing the gospel so that lost people might be rescued. You say, why did the Holy Spirit come? The Holy Spirit did not come to give you those God bumps when Alicia sings, thank you Jesus for the blood. And don't get me wrong, I like them too. Right? I'm not, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. But the supreme reason the Spirit came is to empower us as witnesses to the ends of the earth for our King. That we would be ambassadors carrying the message of Jesus' fame to the ends of the earth, baptizing those, which by the way, we're going to baptize next Sunday right here. I can't wait. If you are a believer in Christ and not yet been baptized, please put that on a card. We will talk with you and maybe you'll be a part of next week's service. Baptizing and teaching them to observe all that our king has commanded us. And what has our king commanded us? Where, where might we go to find all that our king has commanded us? Right? It's right here. It's not abstract. It's, it's not something that we have to wonder where to find it. It is right here for us. And at this time, I want to ask our worship team, if you would go on and make your way to the platform and church family, I I want to conclude with an appeal to our church 65 years in. North Roanoke, my appeal to you on this, our 65th anniversary, is this. Let's make sure we're pursuing the right prize. Who or what are you pursuing? What is your goal? What is your life's objective? Are you stuck in the past? Some moment of achievement? Some moment of greatness? Such that you've lost the compelling vision of the glory of Christ in your life? Would you join me individually and corporately this morning in asking God to search our hearts and say, God, am I pursuing the right prize? Am I really at the bottom of my life pursuing the glory of King Jesus? 
whatever the Spirit of God would say to you, and I know on the authority of His Word that He'll show you if there's any straying, any erring. We just, we just read that promise. Would you join me in saying, God, help me. I want my aim to be Christ. I want to be faithful to the finish. I want to be open to being refined and completed in Christ Jesus. North Roanoke, this morning, could we afresh say, we're going to maintain the confession of our hope without wavering. Could we declare, we're going to worship our King without reservation. And could we say, we're going to baptize and teach anyone who will repent and believe on Christ until He comes. Trusting that our great saving God will do what He has started in us at 6402 Peters Creek Road. And understanding until that day, that day that He breaks into the earth and we see and behold His face, we have an incredible and holy work to do and an amazing King to pursue. North Roanoke, would you resolve with me this morning that until Christ comes, we're going to stick with it. We're going to pursue Christ, the prize. Would you pray with me? God, our Savior, God, our King, Father in heaven, thank you for sending your Son, incarnate Son of God, Lord King Jesus. Thank you for coming, and Spirit of God, thank you for helping us in the hearing of your word today. God, search us corporately, search us individually. We want to be conformed more and more to the image of Christ, and we pray that it would be for His glory, for our good, and the good of those yet to encounter our King. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the North Roanoke Podcast. You can connect with us at northroanoke.org or download our app in your device's app store. Just search for North Roanoke. We hope to meet you soon.